Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily. I'm Nathan Fox, one of the co-founders of LSAT Demon. With me is Eric Johansson, a teacher and tutor at LSAT Demon and the producer of our two podcasts. Uh, we have an email here from Catherine. Yeah, Catherine asks two questions. First one's about GPA. She says, I'm five years out of college and have worked as both a product manager and account executive since I graduated. GPA was a 3.97, nice, but not necessarily from an accredited institution. <laughs> I'm sure uh, it's an accredited institution. Yeah. So I looked up the, she names her college. I looked it up. It is within LSAC's grading conversion system. They have, cool. a, a, so yeah, I don't think that will be an issue. It's as, as accredited. I think she meant, yeah. I don't think she meant accredited. I think she meant, uh, you know, um, prestigious or something. Ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah. She continues, my primary focus in choosing that school was for the athletics, played D1 collegiate golf all four years. Nice. Uh, yeah, Nathan, you should know how good a golf player well, you got to be to play gonna, D1, right? She's badass, yeah. Um, that That is going to play very well, by the way. I mean, like that's D1 college athletics is one of the more impressive things that anybody ever has on their application. There's just not that many people who played high-level competitive sports and while maintaining a 3.97 gpa right that's and awesome. that's so, right so excellent grades and if you choose to write your personal statement about d1 golf especially because it's golf um i just think that's gonna go a long way they're gonna look at that and they're gonna see employability right yeah. <laughs> i mean that's you're already in nice uh catherine asks does the quality of school matter when it comes to LSAC waiting GPAs and at any point does my work experience matter more no your GPA there is great and it doesn't matter what school you went to and you're gonna look like a just stellar candidate your work experience who cares I mean the thing that matters is your LSAT which we haven't gotten to yet yeah um well she says I'm trying to make this moot point by scoring as high as possible on the LSAT I'd I would not want Good. to make your 3.97 a moot point. That is a point <laughs> in your favor. She's just worried about the quality of her school, which she yeah. just, it is a moot point. It's already sure. a moot point. You have a 3.97. That is going to look awesome on the scoreboard. And when I say scoreboard, what I mean is the American Bar Association 509 report at the schools that you're looking to apply to. 3.97 is going to be above the median at just about every school, maybe not. Yale, but you're that's you're gonna improve the numbers that they have to report to the American Bar Association and thus to US News and whatever other rankings agencies. You're that that 3.97 is something that they want and they just don't care what school you went to. Okay, so or what your major was or anything. Devil's devil's advocate here. Yes. Um although if we're the demon with the devil's advocate, eh. <laughs> um anyways uh so to argue the opposing side we know that u.s news and world report has taken some weight away from gpa in their ranking system it, no it's just the raw score the raw value of your gpa is not as important for the rankings as it used to be does that mean that schools might be more incentivized might care a little bit more about stuff like the quality in in scare quotes of your school could be does that matter 
it's just it's real hard to put that type of thing into a spreadsheet, you know, and we we talked about this a lot when the they U.S. News constantly changes their rankings methodology, right? Every year yeah. we get a wow, U.S. News has made these big changes in their rankings methodology. Last year, they decided to deprecate a bit the is that the right word? I don't know. They they chose to diminish the weighting for both LSAT and GPA in favor of like employment outcomes and that kind of stuff. But if you're an admissions committee, you know, you don't directly control your employment outcomes. You have limited information about these people. And I guess work experience does speak to employability, but you know what else speaks to employability? LSAT and GPA. So even if US News is not like, explicitly using them as heavily as they have in the past it's hard to see what school like schools love using the lsat schools have always highly weighted lsat and gpa regardless of what us news has done because that's the numeric metrics that they have to to rank you and so i see them making potentially making no changes in the way that they weight LSAT and GPA, the schools themselves. Because, you know, as much as they talk about doing holistic whatever, we also know that they frequently have 5,000 applications and they're going to admit 500 people so that they can eventually matriculate 200 students every year from 5,000 applications. And how do you whittle it down from 5,000 to 500? Well, <laughs> it's awful convenient to use LSAT and GPA. Beyond that, I don't, it just isn't sensible to compare somebody who has real low LSAT, real low GPA to somebody who has high LSAT, high GPA. You cannot possibly be thinking, oh, well, I'm just going to basically rank those people equally and let me look at their resume and personal statement for 5,000 applications. No fucking way. All that is to say, <laughs> I think that Catherine, we have to assume that LSAT and GPA is still going to trump everything. Yeah. Is it also possible? Is it possible that discriminating? I don't know. Discriminating is the right word, but okay. Discriminating based on prestige of undergraduate institution would hinder the school's abilities to build a diverse class like they've said one would certainly think to. yeah yeah it's not we know that the halls of elite institutions are increasingly white as we climb the rankings and so it's not yeah i, I don't see how them prefer i mean that's what it was by the way in the bad old days right people who yeah. want to get rid of standardized testing it's like well you know that the, his, the standardized testing was originally created in large part because people wanted ways of allowing more diverse access to these institutions because it used to be like, oh, you know, you went to Exeter and you went to Princeton and you're in to whatever graduate program you wanted. Mm -hmm. And now it's probably you went to Exeter, you went to Princeton, you're still in, but at least now someone else can take the... LSAT and score real high and 
then get themselves into the conversation as somebody who might deserve to be there, even if they are an underrepresented minority or a first generation student who did not happen to go to elite prep schools and elite undergrad institutions. Yeah. So anyway, where's well, yeah, Catherine long story at? short, you're going to be just fine, Catherine. Uh, 3.97 D1 athlete. All that's great. Yep. Diagnostic of 147 aiming to get that into the higher 160s. Cool. I think you can totally do that. I have no doubt in Catherine's ability to uh, get that score up. Yeah. I mean, I would say don't settle if you yeah. a, a diagnostic of 147 is great, Catherine. If you became an LSAT demon student, we'd be talking to you about let's get it into the 170s. Yeah. And you saying you've got UNC law in your sights. Your 3.97 and your potential 170 something make you pretty strongly overqualified for a school like UNC law. So put them on your list. Why not Duke? Right. Put them on your list, but also apply broader than that. You know, apply to 15 or 20 schools and see if you can incite a bidding war for your services because you know these people are going to love having a stellar gpa hopefully you'll get to the point where you've got that stellar uh stellar lsat and then they're also going to have a ringer for their uh you know member guest at their country club that they're going <laughs> to like that <laughs> really love it all right question two uh, about timing i'm having a horrendous time successfully completing sections i'll just stop you right there just stop even trying that's not your job your job is to get one question at a time right you're at a 147 Catherine. you have no business finishing any of the sections let go of that completely stop trying to finish the sections focus on one at a time get them right and you will see your scores improve you will also feel your understanding of the test improving. You'll start to see how easy the test actually is. And eventually you're going to effortlessly score in the 170s. You still might not finish the sections, but you're going to effortlessly score in the 170s by simply taking the time to answer each question individually. Yeah, no one cares how quickly you finished 18 holes. <laughs> right. They, they care what your score was. <laughs> right. Yeah. And unless they put a shot clock on good golfers, good golfers will take forever, you know, figuring out their shot, taking their time. And you've you got to you got to take your time with these. Yeah, it's all about the preparation. So read the arguments carefully and tell me why they're bullshit. Read the reading comprehension passages carefully and tell me what's going on in the passage. Like, tell me why the passage exists. Tell me what the author wants. Like what? Give me the gist of it. Tell, you know, like I was your buddy. Just what's this passage? What are they trying to sell in this passage? Why does this document exist? Take your time to do that preparation on games. Take your time to build your worlds, bake your rules in. Solve the system first, and then the questions just answer themselves if you do that. I can't say this strongly enough. And some people listen to me the first time I say it. Some people listen to me the 10th time I say it. Some people never listen to me and never improve. You have to slow down. You have to get rid. You just have to let go of the idea that you're ever going to finish the sections. I don't care if you ever finish. I care if you get the ones right that you do have time to attempt. And if you can calm down and just do that, 
you'll go faster because you won't get caught up in wrong answer choices as much. You won't get as frustrated. You won't get as stressed out. You'll really start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. With a 147 diagnostic, Catherine, you have plenty of horsepower. You can understand this test, but your racing to the finish is actually preventing you from understanding the individual questions. Getting then you're going to get bogged down in wrong answer choices. So just you know, the first thing you do when you start a timed section is you click the clock to turn off the clock, ignore the clock entirely for the entire 30 minutes until you get your five minute warning. Even then, ignore the clock, right? All we do at the five minute warning is just guess on the remaining questions and then answer one more question. And the timing and the speed will come naturally as a result of the work that you do to better understand the test and to be more accurate. I think that's the that's the thing that probably people have the hardest time accepting or believing that you will get faster without consciously working on speed, <laughs> but that's the only thing that you can do. Slow is and it smooth does happen. and smooth is fast, Catherine. It's like trying to convince a bad golfer that they don't need to swing hard. You need to make good contact. The way you make good contact is not by swinging hard. <laughs> it's by making a good swing, maintaining your balance, maintaining your focus, keeping your eye on the ball. You know, <laughs> like you don't worry about the third hole while you're hitting your approach shot on the second hole. You just hit that shot and then golf becomes easier than you're than you're making it out to be. Well, not for me because I suck, but yeah, <laughs> I'm having flashbacks to my dad uh, trying to teach me to golf growing up and just being like, Eric, can you just not don't swing that hard? You don't need to do that. It is not a game for muscle bound folks, you know, like no. uh, your images of Tiger Woods uh, striding down the fairway, uh, you know, gave you the wrong impression that you need to be some muscle bound dude in order to hit the ball far. Like there's plenty of guys that are five foot six or yeah. I mean, ladies golfers, they bash the shit out of it and they're like five foot four, you know, hundred pounds and they, mm -hmm. and they swing like just effortlessly that there's like zero effort going on ever. Mm -hmm. And they're just pounding it out there because they're, they're making good contact. So that's all I want you to do is make good contact on the argument, make good contact on the passage, make good contact on the game. Then the questions should solve themselves. Well said. Thanks, Thank Catherine. you, Catherine. Email daily at lsatdemon.com if you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or law school admissions news. Thanks for listening.